Avast there, mates, and listen up. Vacation Bible School at First Baptist Church in Avon Park set sail from June 25th through June 30th from 5.30 to 8pm with a special family fun night on Friday for the whole family. We'll be casting off with the Proof Pirates this year. You'll not want to miss this thrilling time of fun, games and Bible lessons on the high seas. Send your questions to info at fbcap.net or visit www.fbcap.net. Keep a weather eye out for more information and how to sign up. Proof Pirates, finding the treasure of God's amazing grace. You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Well, take your copy of God's Word and find the New Testament book of John. We're going to open up there to the third chapter, John chapter 3. If you do not have a bulletin with you, uh, you probably have wondered, we're singing a lot about love. If you have a bulletin with you, you know why we're singing a lot about love. Tonight, uh, today, I want us to think about so great of love, uh, the love that that God has for us. We're going to pay close attention to a very familiar passage of Scripture, John 3.16. Before we get there, though, I want us to kind of be reminded where we are in John's gospel. You might remember that Jesus had come and he is, uh, he is pointing the way that our sermon series kind of title is, Look and Live, the idea that we look unto Christ and we can live. And so as we've gotten this far into John's gospel, everything is about being new, being something that you weren't, but you have become something new, dead to alive. And he was at the wedding, and the first miracle was about newness of life and the old. And, and when Christ makes something new, how much better it is from the old wine uh, to the new wine. We go to the temple and the old temple system was set up in the old way. Even though it started out in a good way, the old way was pointing people to faith in God, but it was through the works of the law and pointing people to the need they had for forgiveness of sin. But yet, in the corrupt way of religion, it had turned into a marketplace. They were selling doves and they were in it for profit. And so they had used the the temple sacrifice as a way that was not pleasing to the Lord. And so Jesus himself said, hey, there's a new temple and I'm it. But yet religion just couldn't handle that. Uh, Religion is anything that we try to do to get to God apart from Jesus Christ. Religion is anything that we do to try to please God apart from grace and faith in 
Jesus Christ. And so Nicodemus, a, a man, a religious man, an educated man, a popular man, an influential man, but a lost man, comes to Jesus at night. And he comes to Jesus and they begin to dialogue and we looked at this a couple of weeks ago and basically what Nicodemus wanted to know, how can we enter the kingdom of heaven? How can I know that I have right standing with God? You know, I believe that's a question a lot of the world is asking. I think the world is, is, is asking that question. How, do I, how can I be right? How can I have that purpose? How can I know my life matters? And Jesus said, Remember what he said? You must be what? You tell me. Born again. That's radical. I mean, that basically told Nicodemus, who you are is nothing. Who, who you are is, is not right. It's wrong. You're dead. It, it just is never going to happen. And so when you were telling an old covenant Jew that, what do you mean I need to be born again? I, I've been elect. I'm chosen. I am the nation of Israel. And Jesus said it doesn't matter. You've got to be born again, born of the Spirit, born of the water. There's got to be something that takes place supernatural within you, beyond yourself, that is going to bring about change. Then Jesus goes on to say that you must also believe. And so we we have this setting here of back and forth dialogue. And in verse 12 it said, if you have told your earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you? heavenly things verse 13 no one has ascended into heaven except the one who ascended from heaven the son of man and so he's dialoguing about being born again about believing this change this entering the kingdom of God this being this new person and so then then Jesus looks at Demodemus who would have been an old testament scholar he would have gotten this and notice verse 14 here and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and for those, you may remember this, the, 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 the nation of Israel was disobedient, and God judged them, and this is some judgment. So God sent snakes into the camp, and they just started killing the Jews. That's judgment, by the way. And so God told Moses to make a, a serpent and put it up on a stick and lift that stick up, and if they believed that that will heal them, all they have to do is look into the stick that is lifted up, and they will be healed. And he's telling Nicodemus, he said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up on a stick. Verse 15, that whoever believes, so you must be born again, and you must believe whoever believes in him that that was lifted up on the stick, that which will be lifted up as the Son of Man, if we believe in Him, we will have eternal life. Now we come to one of the most, if not the most, popular, well-known Scripture verses of the church. In the midst of this dialogue, that there, the Son of Man must be lifted up, The Son of Man must pay the price for their sin. The Son of Man must be crucified and and he must become dead and he must become buried and he must rise again. And if that takes place, you must believe in that to have eternal life. John 3.16 For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, and it's funny, even as I'm reading a different translation, I always say it in King James English, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. There's that word again. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. I didn't send Jesus in the world to condemn the world because of what? The world was already what? Condemned. I sent Jesus into the world to save it. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. This is a radical to the Israelites, to Nicodemus, to this day. That you're condemned without believing in Jesus Christ. That we must believe in Jesus Christ and what he has done. We must understand our need. We must understand what forgiveness is. We must understand what God has done. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, verse 18. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Radical to Nicodemus. But you know what? It's just as radical today. The world says our message is so narrow. Who are we to say that that is right? It's not for us to say it is right. God has said it is right. Well, Pastor, what if someone just doesn't know that what if someone's just been raised not to know that what if someone just has never not known that well Nicodemus wasn't raised in that Nicodemus was raised in the law and God said Nicodemus you've been raised in the law but you've been raised in the law but it's wrong and so I think that we get kind of confused that God wouldn't do that God is too godish made up a word at the end, it just all works out because it's God. Surely to goodness, people won't go to hell and do it. And we totally miss John 3.16. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to look at these three verses. And so in my study, somebody asked me, how do I know when to quit? Well, I don't know when to quit a lot of times. But at least when I'm putting it on paper, I know after about so many pages, I need to figure out this is a stopping point. As we think about believing in Jesus Christ is the only way to have eternal life, that we believe that the gospel is the only way, we're going to look at John 3, 16 and 17 and 18, and we'll understand why we must believe that. And a great way to start and a great place to start is understanding this, the love of God. For God so loved. I could give the invitation after this, but I won't. Nicodemus, if what you believe is wrong and it's no longer, the old covenant is no longer in place because I have sent my son and he has died on a cross for your sin. If we look out in the world today and we just say, you know what, if you do not, you know, you're, you're just lost and there's nothing that can be done about it. But we forget, God did not leave humanity in its lostness. He did send his son. He did make a way. That is what makes the gospel so wonderful. 
It seems like I talk a lot about Walmart. I do because I'm there often. And I realize I'm there on Friday and Saturday. That's it. I'm there on, on the weekend. So I'm sitting there, and I, if I ever could figure out, maybe the audiovisual ministry can help me figure out how I can put my lapel mic on and tap into the sound system of Walmart. I'm walking around Walmart thinking about the love of God, the love of God, the love of God, and I just, you just want to stop everybody and say, God is love. It doesn't matter what you're going through or what you're facing, God is love. And all the heartaches and all the despair and all the hurt and all the worry and all the lostness and all the depravity, God is love. And God loved us so much, he sent his son, if you will believe. And if you look at it from that perspective, it gives the gospel a great message and a great means to share that gospel. It's not a narrow-minded, legalistic view that God only likes a handful of people and if you don't believe exactly like us, you're going to hell and, and who are you to say that you're right, that this Jesus is the only way? No, God so loved the world, he did send his son to be the way and the truth and the life. And whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved. That word love is used in different contexts throughout Scripture. The, the three basic ways that it is used, and it doesn't matter what the fancy Greek words are because we won't remember. Eros is romantic love. I, I love my spouse. I love this person. I love my children. And it means that you really do care and you love someone. Phileo love is a love based on receiving something. I always use, a, you know, I like, I like sports. And so uh, isn't it funny how we always love our team when they're winning? It's kind of hard to be a Boston Celtic fan and be excited right now, isn't it? And for those that are not into sports, you don't have a clue, that's okay. First three quarters, I, woo, go Falcons! Tom Brady in the fourth quarter. <sighs> it's, it's based on receiving something. I love something as long as that something's loving me. If that something's giving me back, I love it. That's phileo love. This type of love is just a giving love. I love because I love. I love you because I just love you. It's not based on anything you do in return. I love you. That's a, what we call agape love. John uses the, these combinations of love more than any other gospel writer. Love is very important to John. That true understanding of, of loving someone. And, and from God's perspective, he loved us when he was unlovable. We are unlovable. That's agape love. He loved us, and there was nothing we did to deserve that love, but that's how much God loved us. So we think about God so loved the world, we think about this great love. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 2. You you can turn if you want to. Turn to Ephesians and find Romans. Ephesians and Romans, we're going to look at those verses. I'm going to read them. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. The book of Ephesians here. Uh, is talking about the, uh, the it's kind of setting the, the tone of who we are uh, 
what, what the problem is, verses chapters 1 through 3, and then what Christ does, and then how we live our lives. So the beginning of Ephesians is kind of setting the, the tone of, of why we need Christ. For you were dead in your trespasses and sin. That would be Nicodemus, Jesus talking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus has a problem, and that problem is you and your heart. The problem is you. But we're dead in our trespasses and sin from Genesis and Adam and Eve and, the, and the original sin since then. We're dead in our trespasses and sin since we all fall short of the glory of God. And once you once walked, we're talking to a church in Ephesus, we once were lost if we're a believer. If we're not a believer, we're lost. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is not at work and the sons of disobedience. There's two things going on. Right and wrong. God and Satan, Jesus and Satan, there's only two options, dead or alive, yes or no, heaven or hell, there's only two options. Without Christ, we're dead in our trespasses and sin and we're following the course of the world, among whom we all once lived, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Why do lost people do what they do? Because that's all they know to do. They're following the course of the desires of their mind and their heart because they're following the way of Satan. They don't even realize it, but they're following the course of the world. Like the rest of mankind, verse 4, pay attention to this, 4 and 5, love this, circle this in, in your Bible, but God, God didn't leave it that way, he looked down over humanity and saw lostness and depravity, since Genesis he saw the fall of man, but God being rich in mercy, being rich in love, in which he loved us, he agape loved us, he he loved us and just gave us that love and was not expecting anything in return. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But God, rich in mercy because of his great love. Do you believe that? For God so greatly loved us. That there is a great God with great love. And we live in a day and an age of hurting and despair, but yet we know and we must believe that there is a God that has a great love for us. Now the type of love that I'm talking about is not this type of love. God loves you. You can be successful and happy and everything will work out great. God loves you. You can sit around and just eat butter pecan ice cream all the time and life's going to be great and you're, you're important and you mean something and you just get up out of bed every day and you believe in yourself and you're wonderful, but God loves you. Well, what, do you what do you tell Peter when he was living the faithful Christian life that God loves him? And that every day should be great and every day you should feel good and every day is wonderful because God loves you. When he was being crucified for being a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. How does that prosperity message fit into missionaries today in third world countries that are fighting for their life but yet they're still proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and they really don't care. Take everything but I'm going to continue to preach the gospel. 
that prosperity love, that God is love and everything's just wonderful. And if you just embrace the love of God, you're going to feel better about yourself. And there's some truth to that, but that's not what the love of God is all about. The biblical understanding of the love of God is that God loved me so much, he sent his son. And that when I, somebody asked me the other week, they were asking about someone that goes to a different type of church. And they said, is that person a believer? And here was my answer. If that person has repented of their sin and they have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have entered into a relationship with Christ, and Christ is Lord of your life. In other, in other words, it doesn't matter where the church you go to, if you've never repented of your sin and clearly heard the gospel, clearly responded to the gospel, and your life has not changed, and you're not living the Christian life in love and adoration of the Lord Jesus Christ, if that's never taken place, it doesn't matter where you go to church, you're not saved. That's why it's so important when we do go to church, we need to go to a church that we're hearing the gospel because if we're not hearing the gospel, then we'd have never responded to the gospel. And if we'd never responded to the gospel because we've never heard the gospel, then we can't be saved. That's like Nicodemus. He's trying to figure out how to be born again. And Jesus is saying, this is how you're born again. But here's what the love of God is. God loves me and he's forgiven me. And because God has loved me so much that he has forgiven me, I adore him and I worship him and I want my life to bring glory to him. That's a completely different scenario than God loves you, be happy and, and believe in yourself and go do great things because God loves you. It's a, it's a humbling love. God loved me. Why? Have you ever done that? Have you ever just like looked in the mirror and went, why? I had a pastor one time call me and was just having a terrible, terrible time in his church. And there, when I hear things like that, I look in the mirror and go, why? Why, why am I in a church that we're not having terrible meetings and people aren't? You know, I, I've literally had a, a pastor friend one time that a deacon chased him out. It's not that he was a deacon, but he happened to be a deacon. I mentioned deacons. I was one, so I can talk about them. But you think a deacon, a church leader, church leader followed him out to the parking lot on a Sunday night and one of them had a fist fight. And I'm like going, I, I can't even wrap my arms around that. I mean, so I, I, a lot of times I look in the mirror and say, well, why? why? Why am I in a great situation? Why do I have great deacons? Why do I have this? Why do I have this? Why do I, I, did, I don't understand it. Why, did, why do I have a relationship with God? Why did Jesus cry? I don't get it. And yet it humbles me. And so I, I think about an offering. I pray for the offertory prayer. That's why I give. Why? Why did God love me enough to save me and to allow me to even have something to give back to him? That's why I go to church. You know what? People say, well, I don't go to church because. No, listen, I go to church because. I'm not letting you take that away from me. You know, people say, well, I don't go to church because the pastor, I don't go to church. But two story, I've heard, that, I've heard that here in Avon Park, really funny. I also heard it in Indiana, so it's universal. Two times, same story, they may, I bet it was a snowbird, back and forth. <laughs> it's a true story. If y'all moved your services a little bit further up, I'd come to your church so I could make the yard sales. 
true story. It must be one of y'all that goes back and forth to Indiana. I don't know. I don't go to church so that I can, I can make the yard sales. I go to church because he loved me and sent his son for me. And I have a relationship with him. And I get to worship him. That's love. That's something I pray over daily. Lord, I don't want my love to be conditional on the things in my life. If you love me, you said you do this. If you love me, you say you do that. No, you love me and I get to adore you and worship you. I get to pray. I get to read the word. I get to worship you in a way that I only could because you love me. Have you ever been broken over someone that's not living for the Lord and you just want them to understand the love of God, to experience the love and forgiveness of God, that, uh, that agape love, that's love. The true love of God. I want us to consider one, two, four types of love. We're in Ephesians, look at Ephesians chapter 1. God's love, number one, this great love, this, this love that God has, this giving love. If you're here today and you've never repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, God has a love that you can only find when you turn your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you're a believer and you're in a tough go and things are not going your way, which could be any of us in any given day, remember this type of love. Remember this great love that we read about in Ephesians 2, rich in mercy because of this great love. This is why. One, it is an eternal love. I wrote down and I was thinking, I write everything out and make little notes and things everywhere on pieces of paper. And Every now and then you hear about somebody... Uh, when a, when a pastor dies, they find his library and they start publishing his stuff. You couldn't make heads or tails if you went to publish my sermon notes. You'd think, my goodness, what in the world is he trying to say? I guess I could say it's such a spiritual language I only understand it, me and the spirit. Eternal love. I wrote this down. An always kind of love. Think about that. It is an eternal love. We read Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in, in what? In Christ with every, every's a lot, every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. How many spiritual blessings do you think heaven can hold? He has blessed us in Christ. That's why one of my favorite words is joy. We should always have joy of the Lord, in the Lord, because even though we may be grieved, even though we may be sad, even though we may be mad, even though things are just not well and we're just, Lord, things are not well, we know that God has loved us in Christ and we have all his blessings in the spiritual places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, this whole chose us sends people all in all kind of directions. Theologically, we run around like chickens with our head cut off. And we get hung up on chose. Don't get hung up on chose. Get hung up on this before the foundation of the world. 
God has always had a plan, and that plan was Jesus Christ. God just wasn't walking around one day and went, oh, now I get it. That's what I do. That's what you and I do. Now I get it. Since the very beginning, God has had a plan based on his love. And that plan has always been Jesus Christ. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. How can I be holy and blameless before him? You think about earthly relationships. Got any parents around here? Some of our graduating parents. I told one of our parents, you're so young to have a graduate. I don't know if she thought I was sincere or not. I was just being a great pastor. And I think about my own children as they've grown through. There, there were just days I didn't know if they were going to make it. And it's because I didn't know if I was going to let them make it. You know, and you, and, you, and you sit there and you sit there and you think, okay, but you love them. They're your children. They're a gift. You can be frustrated, but you love them. God says there's no way you can ever do anything to match my holiness and my splendor and my majesty and my perfection. But I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, to be a propitiation for your sin. And the moment that you become a believer, and only when you become a believer of Jesus Christ, I look at you as holy and blameless before him. Even though we've made mistakes, even though we fall short of the glory of God, God looks at us as blamely and holy because we have entered into a relationship with God only through the blood of Jesus Christ. In verse 4, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Was there something that I did? Did, did God one day just say, you know what, I think I might could use John. He's proven himself to me. No. Before the foundation of the world, he was motivated by love to send his son so that I may be born again and can believe in the Father. I mean, you think about it, from all eternity, God has had a plan that has been motivated by love. God is just not some haphazard God moving around, waiting to see how we respond. Everything he does is motivated by love, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. Because he has loves us, he has provided Jesus Christ as a means that he has brought us into his family. We are adopted as children of God by his grace and the purpose of his will and so do we think just all of a sudden he's going to stop loving us he's loved us since the foundation of the world so all of a sudden he's just going to stop loving us all of a sudden he's just forgotten about us all of a sudden there's just nothing he can do with us I was reading a book on marriage counseling and I stopped reading the book immediately and the, and the guy was writing the book and he said the woman came to him and said, well, my marriage is falling apart. Why did God do this? And, and he said, well, God never saw this coming. God is just as surprised as you are. Now, I understand what he was trying to do. He, he was trying to make it act like that, you know, we're, we're puppets down here. And, uh, I want you to get married and then you're going to get divorced because I'm God and I've got a perfect loving. Uh. No, but he didn't say, hey, God just woke up and said, hey, did y'all see CNN today? Hey, I got my, God's got his 
Fox News alert on his new watch. Whoa! Trump, who's president? I mean, nothing catches God. He, from the beginning, he's had a love. I think about the church. Do you think he loves the church from the beginning? I mean, do you think just because things aren't going the way we want them to go that we're going to run from the hills and build a bunker and we're going to dive in and build a little bunker and run from the world because of blah, blah, blah. He loves us. He's got a plan for us. It's an, a, it's an eternal love. You're entering into a relationship with a God that has loved you since all eternity. I don't understand it, but I can embrace it. I don't have to understand how since the beginning of the world was created that he loved me and that he loved you. I don't understand it, but I can embrace it. An eternal love. Think about your life. Think about graduates. You know, I don't know what you're going to do. You think you know what you're going to do. And so as parents and as adults, we say, oh, that's great. We know that's probably not going to work out that way, but we try to encourage you and be all hopeful. You got it all worked out. Very few 17 and 18-year-olds have a clue. But we don't want to tell you that, so we try to build you up a little bit and say, that's a great idea. And we in the back of my mind going, that's not going to ever happen. I mean, I just hope they get a job and have a house to live in. Much less, you know, we, it's, we all did that. God has an eternal, if you are here, if you repent of your sin, you've placed your faith in Christ. God's got an eternal love for you. And all, you know, all, what does he want in return for that love? For you to understand who he sent his son. You've got a relationship with Christ. Love him. Glorify him. Worship him. Adore him. Love the things that God loves. That's where works comes in. All the little things that preachers want everybody to do. You ever feel like preachers in our checklist? All we're trying to encourage you to do is love the things that God loves that he reveals to us in his word. Just love the things that God loves and you'll see God for who he truly is. It is an eternal love. I don't know how it's going to end up. I don't know if it's going to be revivals take place and churches are going to be larger and, you know, we're going to make America great again and all of a sudden revival is going to break out. I don't know. could be that America is going to be great again, but there's going to be greater persecution. Churches may be smaller. I mean, a lot of church planners aren't building buildings like this because they don't know what's going to happen. And so they said, but you know what? It's not going to be something that happens outside of God's will. So churches may be smaller, churches may be fewer, but they'll be stronger. And at the end, God's already won, right? Because he loves us, right? And it's an eternal love from the beginning. It's an almighty love, secondly. It's thorough, it is complete, it is a finished love. When Jesus says, it is finished, he's saying it is finished. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Let me back up to 31. Romans 8, 31 through 39. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I like that. How do we not, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Every day, you ever ever get in a a dialogue or debate with somebody that's an unbeliever and you're like, 
you know, there are times you just want to roll up your sleeves and say, hey, I'm with him. This is what the word says. This is what I know is the truth. Whether you believe it or not, whether you accept it or not, whether you embrace it or not, whether you believe I'm right or not, it doesn't matter. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who can bring a charge against one of God's? Nobody can. He created everybody. Who shall bring a charge against God elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? How do you, do you feel unloved today? Well, quit looking around at us and look to Christ. There are times I leave on Sunday, and I can just be so sad, and I, I am sensitive. I, I kept having to remind our senior adult Jubilee crowd that I'm a sensitive pastor and that they were being very mean. And they just went, one in particular kept saying, oh, brother. Well, I am sensitive, and I want people to like me. And when you sleep the entire sermon, it offends me. And I go home and I feel sad and nobody likes me and things aren't going my way and I just want everything to go my way. And the Lord says, what in heaven's name are you doing? It's not whether or not they even like you. Christ says, I love you. And if I'm not careful, I'll spend my life wanting y'all to like me, which I do. When in essence, I want him and I want to see that he loves me. Because if you're not liking me as a sin issue, he'll fix that and you'll like me. If you're not liking me as a sin issue with me, God's going to fix that and you'll start liking me because I'll repent and get right. But it's still, my life is not about pleasing here. It's about knowing that he loves me. Shall tribulation or distress? Do you think when Paul was beheaded, when Peter was crucified, when they had Mark tied up behind that chariot, we sang about a chariot today, do you think when Mark might have been singing, swinging in the chariot? History says that they had Mark bound behind a chariot in Alexandria and it would just go loops through the city and the, and the streets and the dirt streets and the stone streets literally ripped the hide off of him as he rode through the city. Shall persecution, shall distress, or famine, or nakedness of sword? No, as it is written, verse 36, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are guarded asleep to the slaughter. Verse 37, Paul says, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor present things nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is an almighty love. When we go to the doctor and get the news that we don't like and we walk out to that car, we have to understand there is an almighty love. When that job promotion doesn't go our way and we think things are not where they need to be, we need to remember there is an almighty love. 
Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing. See, what we do is we, we weigh our things this side of heaven. This is not what we're laboring for. This is not what we're worshiping for. It's the other side of heaven that we're waiting for. It is an eternal love. It is an almighty love. Third, it is an absolute love. Now, why do I use the word absolute? For God so loved the world. The world. What does that mean? He loved the world. He he has a love for created and fallen totality of mankind. To the Jews, that was radical because they were loved for God, to Nicodemus, it should have said this, for God so loved the Jews, they were the elect, they were the chosen, they were the nation. Jesus, again, is saying there's a new way. For God so loved the world, all of fallen humanity, all of man is the, is the object here. And I don't want to get cute with words, but I was, I was looking at that. What, what does that mean, the world? What does it not mean, the world? So this may sound like I'm trying to be cute. I'm really not trying to be cute. One way to look at it is nobody can be saved. Well, we know that's not right. So God so loved the world, so we know it doesn't mean nobody. Another way to look at that is that everybody will be saved. God so loved the world. It's just like in heaven, world, blanket statement, just finished. And so all the world would be saved. I've heard some of the craziest things about that. You know, there's, and what it is, and I don't want to be too harsh on, on us as people because we are fallen people. I think we really do try to intend to do, I used to have some terrible theology. And I've always said if my theology is not right or I'm, what I'm saying or thinking is not right, that through the study of the Word and the Holy Spirit, He will kind of straighten me out. And I think all of us need to say that. I remember sitting in a class many years ago in, in, in a secular setting and the professor said in, in regular college, are we good or are we bad? I thought, oh, we're good. Man's got to be good because we're creating God's image. False. Bop. But at the time, I didn't realize that. Well, it just made sense to me. It just makes sense that we're all good. We're creating God's image. If we're all good, then Jesus died for nothing. So we have to be bad in order for God to be good. Right? And so sometimes we think about things and we're trying to just be positive, good people and we try to work through stuff, but we try to do so apart from Scripture. Some things I've heard about that. God so loved the world so everybody gets a chance in this standpoint. Even if you've never heard the gospel, when we get to heaven, we're going to get to stand before the Lord and either say yes or no. I mean, that sounds good. And if, if, if we were... The Holy Spirit coming up with this stuff, we would probably do something like that, but it's not biblical. If that's the case, then we never preach the gospel, we never share the gospel, we never have missionaries. If everybody's just going to get up and stand in line one day and God's not going to send anybody to hell, well, that's not true. Remember, we're all going to hell anyway. That's why I sent Jesus, okay? So it sounds good, but it's just, it's one of these things. I think a lot of people say things, they're not heretics, they just don't know enough. And I don't mean that in an ugly way. They just haven't really thought through it. 
Because if I think that if, you, if, if somebody can die without ever hearing about Christ and they can stand before Jesus Christ and then they'll have an answer for it. So then Jesus says, okay, one last chance. If we do believe that, which on paper could sound good, I'm never going to share my faith. I'm not going to support missionaries. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. The early church did not believe that. They went out and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another thing, I heard this kind of here locally, not from our church, but somebody in the community. You go to hell because you reject the gospel. So therefore, don't share the gospel so nobody can reject it. His intent was to have more people go to heaven. So if we don't share the gospel, they can't reject the gospel and they go to heaven. We're already on the fast lane to hell. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What allows us to not go to hell is we respond to the gospel. If they never hear the gospel, guess what? They're, they're going to hell. So I think sometimes we try to create something that just makes us feel better. What does the world mean? So I know that not, it's not nobody. I know that it's not Everybody, I know everybody's not going to be saved. Jesus said broad is the way that, that leads to destruction. Many will go in. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Few will go in. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I got looking at this this week. I think it's anybody. Anybody that hears the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that is born again, that believes, that responds to the gospel of Jesus Christ, can be saved. Do you believe that? I think anybody can be saved. Doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved. Doesn't mean nobody's going to be saved. I believe anybody that can hear the gospel and that can respond to the gospel in repentance and faith can be saved. I don't know what God's doing. God says before the foundation of the world, he knows everything that's going on. Last time I checked, I'm not God. That is why we share the gospel and we trust the gospel. You say, well, pastor, I can't even wrap my arms around this. Well, let me read something to you. God loved the world, the created and fallen totality of humankind. I believe anyone can be saved, but it must be a, a biblical understanding of salvation. Listen to Colossians 4, verse 2. Colossians 4, verse 2 and following. Paul is reminding the church at the end of the book of Colossae, while he is in prison, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us. Paul is in jail in Rome. And he says, listen, you continue steadfastly in prayer. You pray for us. Listen to what's going on. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of God. You see a, an evangelistic prayer there. Paul didn't have a clue what's going on other than he knows that he is there for a reason. God is in control. God has a plan. God loves him. Pray, church, that God would open a door for me to share the gospel on account of which I am a prisoner, that I may make it clear what is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Here's the key. 
regardless if we understand who the world is, this predestination thing, this election thing, all these things that we don't understand, I do believe that we must be born again. I do believe that God does a supernatural act in our life so that we can hear the gospel. That's the key. We've got to hear the gospel, and then we have to respond to the gospel. But notice what the great theologian Paul is praying. All he's asking for, he said, listen, for God so loved the world, pray that a door would be opened up, that I can share the gospel with anybody so that they could hear about the Lord Jesus Christ and they could respond in faith to the gospel and, by the way, walk in wisdom in the outside world that you live in so that you have some credibility to share the gospel, speak with wisdom, let everything you say point people to the hope that we have in Christ. Because we live in the world. The world is your neighborhood. The world is your street. The world is your workplace. The world is your home. And God has called us to live in the world and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was in, I'm not a spiritualist, Paul. Because if I'm in jail, I probably want somebody to come get me out. And I probably am not as spiritual enough to write letters like Paul did. Pray that I would walk. Man, I'll be saying, man, y'all got to come get me out of here. I mean, y'all, y'all need to take up a love offering, get something going, get me a lawyer, get whatever y'all need to do. Get me out of here. They don't have ice cream in prison. I got to get out. All Paul says, listen, I'm in prison, but I'm in prison for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he loved me with an un." unchanging eternal love and almighty love and while I'm embracing his love I am going to share the gospel of hope to this world because Paul understands this this is an absolute love this is a finished love this is a complete love the only thing that's going to change the heart and mind of a wicked world is the love of God as we share the gospel of the love of Jesus Christ into their life I say this As a pastor, I do a lot of discipling and talking, counseling, whatever you want to call it. And anybody that walks through that door, it does not matter what they tell me. I mean, I've had a a lady one time, and I I can't, you can't make this stuff up. I mean, she was telling me stuff that was going on in her life, and I was looking at her, and back in the day, we didn't have Google on smartphones. Now, I'd had to Google that thing talking to her. I mean, she was so messed up. And the things that she was going through, and all of a sudden the Lord said, hey, snap out of it. My love's sufficient for this lady. For these demons in her life, for her abusive situation in her life, for her relationship she's in. And in a moment notice, I realized that is correct. His love is absolute. What that woman needs to embrace, yes, she needs some help. Yes, we'll go walk alongside her. But what this woman needs is to understand the absolute love, the perfect, finished love of God through Jesus Christ. It is an eternal love. It is an almighty love. It is an absolute love. And we'll close with this. It is a saving love. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Have you ever repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ? You know, a lot of times at the church, we say, what does it mean to be saved? You know, and we walk an aisle, don't walk an aisle, do this, do that. Have you ever publicly professed your faith in Christ and identified with the world that you're a believer? 
I know that I'm saved. I'll tell you a great question. If you died today, do you have any idea where you would spend eternity? Somebody asked me that as a believer, but because I was so far away from the Lord, I didn't know what I would tell them. If you died today, young man, would you go to, I mean, I'm never knocking on the door, and I opened the door, and there was two men and, from a church in town. They go, oh, we, uh, we hear you work with one of our church members. I said, yeah, I work there. Well, we'd love to invite you to church. I'm like, well, <laughs> I don't believe in church. They said, young man, can we ask you if you die today whether or not you go to heaven or hell? Oh, I'm going to heaven. I'm on the Baptist church roll in Georgia. They left me off that front porch before I got married, and I shut the door, and God wore me out because I did not know if I died that second if I'd go to heaven or hell because my relationship with God was so strained. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrated his saving love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world. It is an eternal love that has existed since the beginning. It is an almighty love that nothing can separate a redeemed child from the love of God. It is an absolute love. God's love is enough. It's a saving love. Will you embrace the love of God today? Let's stand as we sing. Lord God, we do thank you for your love. And while we were still sinners, rebelling, fighting against you, you sent your son for us. And all you ask is one thing, faith. So, Lord, as we sing about a surrender, as we talk about and sing about yielding our life and placing our faith in you and just laying, letting go all of us, I pray we do so and we embrace all of you. Let our song and our words not just be words, but let it be a true change of heart. Even as a believer here today, maybe there are some of us here today and we are living in in sin, we know that we are. We know that our relationships are not right with you. We know our relationships are not right with others. We know that there are things in our life that we have allowed the world to creep in and we've let our spiritual guard down and we've become lazy and we've, we're not living the life of love that we need to. Let today be that day as a believer that we embrace your absolute love and we surrender our all and live for you. And Lord, if there's someone here today that has never publicly professed their faith in Christ, that they would come today and announce that not only to me but to you and to, to follow through with baptism and that they could truly embrace the love of God through Jesus Christ. And this we pray in your name, Lord Jesus.